right, folks, welcome back to the Not Funny Guys Present Why Exploring the Philosophy, Rhetoric, and Cultural Impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some but not a lot about philosophy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's gracious. (laughs) (laughs) Rhetoric? I mean, even more gracious. (laughs) All right. How about comic book culture? I mean... Movies, movies still count? You got movies the movies, right? right? You got the movies. <laughs> That's why he has me. That's why he's here to talk to me, in fact. So this pod is an extension of our main podcast, Not Funny Eyes Presents Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And here we'll explore some of the ideas that stick out in some vigorous debate, starting by asking the question, why? And so this week is Episode 8, Ant-Man. And I'm just calling it Ant-Man because... Rather than dig really deep into any philosophical stuff, we're going to have a little bit more of a lighthearted turn since this film is itself a lighthearted turn. It's a fantasy philosophy draft. Exactly. (laughs) Now, that being said, we do have to introduce some uh, comic book origins of some of our characters. So, first of all, we have our original Ant-Man. That is Dr. Henry Jonathan Hank Pym who was created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby and first appeared in Tales to Astonish number 27, 1962, which I think I mentioned that on the main pod that did come up. He has That's a actually... lot of names, by the way, like, that, like know, five that's... names. Is that right? Well, <laughs> he's got he's got three names and a nickname in there. So, oh, OK, Whew. yeah, long names, you know, so um, he's also had a couple of alter egos in the comic books. Besides being Ant-Man, he's been Giant Man which uh, first met, appeared in Tales to Astonish number 35. He was also Goliath, which appeared in the Avengers number 28, and the Yellow Jacket, which was originally his oh, identity, in Avengers number 29. Um, in the comics, it was he who actually created Ultron, not Tony Stark, and he has been married and divorced to one Janet Van Dyne, who we will have a, we did allude to, but we won't meet until the next film. Um, we also have another our our main character who played played by Paul Rudd, which is Scott Edward Harris Lang. Now there's some names. Jeez, we got four there. Yeah, I know. Right. Come on. He was he was is created... there some reason like all the Ant Men have long names? I do not know. Is it just um, Janet Van Dyne? Are you like Yeah, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just <laughs> Janet Van Dyne. Now um he was created by David uh Micheline, Rob Layton, and John Byrne. And premiered in 1979 in Avengers number 181. Technically, he has two first appearances. Apparently, he showed up in Avengers number 181 in March and Marvel premiere number 47 the next month in April. He gets listed as two first appearances. Um, He is the second hero to be named Ant-Man. And he is a reformed thief. So we're staying pretty close to that. And an electronics expert, which we then made him an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's pretty spot on with the film. Uh, he has, by the way, been a member member of the Avengers, one constituted version of the Fantastic Four, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Lang uh, or or just Scott Anderson? Lang? No, Scott oh, Lang. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he stole the Ant Man suit, by the way, from Hank Pym to help his sick daughter. Also, not far off. The yeah, path, I mean, we're you know, we're, you know yeah. yeah. So thief with a heart of gold kind of right. thing. Right. We're coloring here. a little bit outside the lines, but it's still exactly. the same image. Yeah, exactly. Now, interestingly enough. Hope Pym or Hope Van Dyme, as she's known in the movies. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, in the movies. Yeah. Uh, the Wasp, who we don't see as the Wasp in this film. Interestingly enough, she was actually never the Wasp in the comic books. She oh, was even created, still. 
No, she was created by Tom DeFalco and Ron Vrentz in 1999, and she appeared in a comic book called A Next Number Seven, which was the Avengers of the MC2 universe, one of Marvel's first attempts at an alternate split universe. So she wasn't even from the main MCU. And she was actually a supervillain named Red Queen. Fascinating turn there. I guess it wasn't technically the MCU, right? I mean, because no, it's MC two. Well, what was it, what did the C stand for then? Because it's not cinematic. It's, right? it's, it's no, comics. it's I don't know. Oh, Marvel exactly. Comics, Marvel, Marvel Comics. Com- yeah, yeah, I think okay. it's what it stands for. Uh, duh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Marvel Cinematic. That just can't be. <laughs> I know. Now, as per our discussion on the main pod, I did double check all this. There have actually been four characters named Ant Man. Okay. Ooh, okay. So the first is Hank Pym, the second is Scott Lang, and there have been two others. The third was one by the name of Eric O'Grady. He was a low-level S.H.I.E.L.D. guy who stole the suit and eventually was a member of the Thunderbolts. Hmm. Uh, So he kind of went villain, got reformed. And then there is one named, a fourth one named Zion Asgar, who was an Ant-Man on Earth 14381 in the year 2549. So somewhere in the future. Hmm. Okay. So. How long yeah. were they ant men for or ants? I don't think ants these, man. <laughs> I don't think most of them had too much of a life experience outside of like small appearances that I'm aware of. So really, it's think, just kind of Pim and Lang that have, yeah, have had major narratives. Okay. Yes. So we actually have a real relationship between Hank and Hope that does not exist in the comic books at all in the movie universe. Okay. Okay. So that's, you know, a big turn here. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to talk about, like I said, keep this lighthearted. I want to talk about the idea of what makes a heist film funny. Hmm. Why do we find heist films amusing, comedic? Because that is very much what's going on in this film. This is a heist film, not necessarily straight up, but a, a bit complex one. And sure. so I wanted to reference um, a little bit of something that I find kind of amusing about this. So if you are a fan of the TV show community, and if you're not, you should be. <laughs> um, in season six, there is a brilliant episode called grifting 101 now the premise of the episode is that there is a class being taught at greendale community college about grifting and it's taught by a con man played by the brilliant matt barry now if you don't know who matt barry is most people be mostly familiar with him from what we do in shadows yeah he's laszlo he is yeah superb as an actor over the top hilarious toast of london he's, yeah it was about yeah to all kind of, he oh so funny the man is amazing i uh, forgot he, that he was in community or i guess yes, i just didn't realize him at the time just, he's just in that one episode he's in that one episode yeah, he's great i gotta though. go back and watch that i gotta go back so and watch um of course several main members of this of the class decide to take his class where they're warned off that it's a con Right. It turns out to actually be a con because he's not really teaching yeah. them anything. He's grifting I mean, it, you, it better be, right? I, yeah, yeah, if it weren't. <laughs> exactly. And so, of course, they eventually turn back to Jeff Winger, who is their failed lawyer, to fight back. And, of course, what they end up doing is he doesn't actually know what to do. So they watch the movie The Sting. Hmm. Now, if you're not familiar with The Sting, it's a great little movie. And they kind of, in a way, kind of parody this film in the episode which is another take on the idea that somehow heist films are funny. Think, you know, Ocean's Eleven's has a yeah. lot of comedic elements to it. Similar idea oh, yeah. here. Yeah. Somehow there's this idea that there are these ne'er-do-wells, but they are likable ne'er-do-wells um, planning on taking out someone who's rich and powerful and obviously skeezy or evil or whatever it might be. 
Mm-hmm. And if you've not seen the grifter, it basically the, the the sting. It's two grifters, mainly played. I'm not going to get into the summation of it, but it basically it's played by Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and they are just masters. Um, and of course, then what they do in the episode is it's the so community dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course the community gang, you know, of course does their own homage to this themselves. Now, this getting back to the idea about why we find heist films so funny is that I mean, and of course, if you've ever watched The Sting, there are comedic elements. There's obviously comedic elements in its community. There is something about that. It's almost like a Robin Hood-esque kind of escapade, but in a way that's designed to be far more complex and not only swindle the bad guy, but in some ways do it in a literally clever fashion, you know? Hmm. And so there is a quote here I want to lead off with as we move into our discussion question here. It says, according to um, Duncan Campbell, um, he says that the heist film permits us to live vicariously as criminals, exciting risk takers who break the law without hurting anyone. This victimless or close as possible crime, crime is the crucial mythologizing of a heist. So. What I want to think about this is how do we think about this is why do we root for Ant-Man if he is, in a sense, committing a crime? What about the humor of it makes the film work in ways that it would not without the humor in it? That's what I want to have us talk about. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll. So there's two parts there, right? At -hmm. least. Um, So I'll try to address them backwards. I think the humor's there because you're committing crime. And so if you don't add humor, it's just <laughs> drama. <laughs> okay. Um, and and plus it's less law and order, more Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think also, well, <laughs> to the point of Ant-Man specifically, I think you have to place your tongue a little bit in, you know, inside your cheek a bit because you have a guy shrinking on screen and running around with ants. I mean, it's. Uh, from a from a cinematic standpoint, up until Ant Man, no one had really done Ant Man. <laughs> well, I think I think the use and of the so premise, a, the premise a silly is brilliant. Premise. No, no, I think you have to do that. I mean, you're doing something that's absolutely ridiculous. Sure, sure. so you have to like don't so add don't, silly. Don't yeah. evade the silly. Lean into it exactly. And what else would you use a power like shrinking, other than what Hank Pym was obviously doing with it for decades? Is um oh, you could probably rob somebody. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what do we do? You know, we have a proof of concept when he's basically lured into robbing Hank Pym's place to steal the suit as a test of concept, enough, you know? Yeah. You know, and then that's why, you know, he's like, okay, you passed the test. I can now trust that you can probably pull off the rest of this. And of course, from that point on, it only gets infinitely more complicated. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, and then to the larger point of like comedy and a heist movie in general, not just Ant-Man, I think it is about what that person said, where we want to see ourselves in in like think of oceans 11 chances are we've all identified with one of the 11 right Mm -hmm. we've all picked who we are like i'm kind of like him you know i think whatever right or i'm like her or whatever um well in oceans eight at least yeah um and so at that point i feel like a there's a vicarious sort of aspect but in the same way that everyone has that sort of nervous laugh or a lot of us do at least Mm -hmm. there's that I think nervous comedy sense that we have to like make this a joke crime, right? We have to add humor to the crime because a, that's how people talk, right? People are ragging on each other all the time. Right. And so that tends to be a lot of the comedy is some sort of duo picking on each other. We're playing with the absurdity of it. Yeah. We're doing, we're, we're, we're messing around with the absurdity and absurdity has a tendency 
to make you kind of laugh at it. Exactly. Because right? it the, takes it to such, such a level that, you know, I mean, I think some of the best humor, like John Stewart, some of John, what John Stewart's really cutting humor is, is his ability to take the, the idea of humor and use it to literally cut something down to its ridiculousness. Yeah. I mean, it, it, feels it makes it funny, but it also cuts, yeah. you know, and the humor can also be used as a way to cut through and make an emotional impact on an audience. Right. So you're going to feel the, even though, you know, from a legal standpoint, Scott and Hank and all of them are operating outside the law. You root for them because they're still doing the right thing. They're operating from a place of trying to do the right thing, but they have to go outside the law, which in a way is very classic um, archetypal superhero. In oh, some yeah. ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean this is like this is almost right? yeah. I mean, it's well, it's a vigilante, but like you know, if you if you've ever read or if you ever get a chance to read some like old Superman stories, because a lot of ways he set the template. His early stories are highly like extra legal. Like mm-hmm. I don't think he ever became something that was something in, operating inside the law for quite a long time. When Jerry Siegel was writing him, he was highly outside the law. I remember in just in Action Comics number one, I love this. He literally drops a woman in front of the governor's mansion. She's the guilty one. Oh, breaks in, disarms the butler, breaks through a metal door to get to the governor to tell him to call the prison and call off an execution of the innocent woman. He then goes off at one point, uh, beat, beats up a wife beater, and then ducks out the window, comes back in as Clark Kent to report on the story after the cops arrive. Uh, he saves Lois Lane from gangsters while they're on a date, and she's doing it as a pity date for him. Um, and then at the end, he literally, and I'm sure I'm missing one in there somewhere, but at the very end, he literally kidnaps a U.S. senator who's corrupt. And I'm like, you know, and but then, but you know, everything he did there was illegal, yeah, by the standard, by the letter of the law, but yeah. by the spirit, <laughs> but by the spirit of what people would perceive morally as right and wrong, he's operating outside the law to do right things, you know. And I think so. that the in terms of a comic book movie in that sense or a heist movie or anything we 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 place a certain level of fantasy on these things where we accept those actions as a community right as Mm -hmm. a audience in general because we're like "Eh." like so many of the actions (laughs) i just watched civil war and i don't want to give away the next episode (laughs) but like so much of that movie you're like oh man both sides make sense right and and not to not to jump ahead but like that kind of exists right the idea of like unlimited power the idea of but not to not to throw away the end what's going on with civil war but we've talked about elements if you think about the deontological and the utilitarianism you're watching that conflict engage with directly with each other in that film and civil war so something i'll probably bring up on the next episode you know i think it's worth noting there that there's something i think one of the things that's interesting about the establishment of scott lang as a character one we meet him as he's leaving jail why was he in jail we find out he got in jail for basically doing the right thing for people who were getting swindled, he but he broke the law. So yeah, if you're was, a lefty cuck. <laughs> basically, yeah. He's like, he's like, he 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 thumbed his nose at the capitalistic greed and basically acted like a social justice right. warrior. Yeah. You know, if you want to label it, he was basically doing the right thing, but he basically broke the law. And so that sets the tone for his character and who what his character is all about. And it immediately establishes for us that we like him. 
But you notice I that mean, that that comes in a little bit later, like in the movie that they they use that. I feel like there's a little not to not to say retconning because that's not true. I have no idea how the comics presented him, but like there there feels the need to be like, oh, it's this this cr- criminal and like just being a cat burglar wasn't enough right which he had essentially confessed oh. to by that point then a little bit later in the movie it's like oh he was a cat burglar for the right reasons and it's like oh you're right because well, like i feel like we couldn't just accept an anti-hero hero well i think that the way you handle that is for the fact that you cast paul rudd yeah exactly well <laughs> that that's to guarantee the comedy side of yes you know, that but we that's also about to guarantee the likability <laughs> because who doesn't oh, like paul man. rudd He's like still what, 18, 19? I know, I know. <laughs> Have you ever seen a picture of his son? He has like, children? He has, he has children. How has old adult, is that man? <laughs> he has adult children. His son, they're Kansas City Chiefs fan, by the way. They're big can they were at the Super Bowl. Oh, they got there's a, a video of him. There, yeah, there's a big video of him with his son. And when his son talks, it sounds like a young him. It's, oh lord the man cloned himself basically i don't know it's amazing <laughs> but yeah that i think that's what they do is they they are trying to establish us on the side of the the guys who are going to pull off the heist and they basically mm-hmm. give us very distinct archetypes but they even bring in characters like michael pena's character as luis as a way of kind of like you like these people even if they do bad things and yeah, you but- even see them planning it it's like yeah, but you like them. They're they're humorous. It gives it humanizes these people who you might typically stereotypically call a criminal. Yeah, but Michael Pena's crime. I mean, to add to kind of my <laughs> point a second ago, I forget I forget the nature of it, but he he fumbled the ball too smooth. What was it? Too smooth. Yeah, that's he how he ended. He tried tried to, to, trying to steal smoothie machines. His hope reveals that one. You know, he was arrested for trying to steal a smoothie machine. He goes two. <laughs> so and so like he's the lovable they're, oof they're know? bumbling they're bumbling characters you know who lovable bumbling mr magoo's not quite but you know kind of like that i mean then in the way the way the heist all goes wrong of course they have to improvise and they kind of do that as well but they sort of i guess they play with the heist notion of the likability of these sort of undercard characters um, finding a way to prevail against the odds, which is very much uh, also referenced back to the idea of a tie-in to like what most people like in a good story. We love to root for an underdog, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, oh, definitely. And that's what we're doing here. I think that's that's part of the heist movie yes. aesthetic as well, right? It's that can they actually pull it off? I want to see them. They can do it, right? That's what I think. That's also definitely part of it. You know, and then of course, obviously, there's the, always the plot twist that does it go wrong? Oh, yeah. And did it really go wrong? No. You know, Ocean Eleven, <laughs> the Ocean's Eleven one is the idea that oh, it goes wrong, but it it was supposed to go wrong, which I think Community made fun of that in the end of season three when they tried their own version of rescuing the Dean from Chang, and the, they did a whole thing on that too. So yeah. yeah well, another, what was the, what was the, what was the, like the Ocean's Eleven, but with magicians? Do you remember that? Like, yeah, no, that was now you oh, see it. Now, now you see, you see yeah. No, no, I, uh, the first one I enjoyed. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. It was a good. It was a good popcorn flick. The I tried the second one. <laughs> I think they I might think, even. I think, I think they might films, have tried to keep going. I don't know. I don't think heist films should be sequeled. I think that's part of the problem. Mm, I don't I know. Think, Ocean's Thirteen is pretty fucking great. But I'm just saying they could be a little problematic, and that you have to make sure that you're willing to um not just keep dipping into the same formula. You've got to experiment. Sure. sure. And I think Ant Man. Not only playing with the heist idea, but introducing this sort of change of pace in the MCU, 
I think was a really nice addition. And of course, obviously this film has to go between age of Ultron and between Captain America civil war, because Mm -hmm. he has to be introduced so that we can see him in the next film. Yeah, exactly. And And to your point as well, like he, he has to just kind of be a fun character, right? We have to have someone new. We have to see him kind of come out, but like, yeah, I don't know. Well, because everybody else is kind of serious. I mean, even yeah. Tony Stark can be quite serious and, you know, Rhodey can joke around, but we need somebody. And I mean, if you think about what we'll see in the Civil War, not to give two things away, on which you each side has their own. We have Lang on Cap's side and we have Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yeah. folks. I didn't know he was in the next film. <gasps> sorry. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, but he's the comedic relief for the other side. So we've got these sort of introduction to the teams that allow us to have this um comedic notions that um liven things up and give us a way of changing up the beats of the story so yeah all right uh any more thoughts i think we we did a good one there no i think i mean to the i think just to wrap up the heist movie idea and and ant-man being a heist movie which obviously the first one is the second one I forget if they try to, I mean, I think there's a certain heist element, but by the time we get to, to quantum mania, obviously it is, you know, it, it is no longer a heist movie, but it makes logical sense why it's not even well, it has if to evolve, you know, exactly like the execution we can talk about when we get to it in the, in the, in the series here, but like, man wasp is more of a fugitive on the run film a little bit. It's like the consequences. It's yeah, it's yeah. like the consequences like, you know, that come after. And it's really because Scott went off and got them in trouble for fighting with Cap. <laughs> mm, yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they, yeah. they change it up. They change it up. But I think this but is But I feel like that's why, it, because you can't yeah. you can't do a yeah, movie you, sequel, right? You don't want to just keep repeating. You gotta exactly. you gotta evolve the story. I mean, like the way that if you look at Captain America's movies, not a single one of his are the same. In a way, no. they all change. Yeah, they're all very I mean, different in style, even. Exactly, and I think that's what you have to do with a sequel, if you really want it to evolve as way Marvel has treated these films as a way of evolving the characters, but also evolving the story narrative. So it's just not just like a repeat, you know. Oh, it's 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 Batman one, Batman two. Sorry, Batman, Batman three. You know, at least the Nolan ones, there was an obvious trilogy. You yeah. know, so. But you have to have some sort of purposeful change up. You can't just simply repeat the same film. Otherwise, it just becomes formulaic. And that is a surefire way for you to just sort of flame out. Right. You know, I think that's something we learned. If you go back and look at some of the older Marvel movies that we've been doing on the main pod, some of the older series, I think the reason some of them burned out is some of them tried to either get too complex and get over their skis or they got too repetitive. You know, I think, I think Daredevil's maybe one of your first cases on the mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, but like, um, also I was thinking about the even just like the Tobey Maguire Spider Mans, mm-hmm. they got really good. But then that third one, it was like they got over their skis and oh, was like yeah. there's way too much going on, you know. And then because well, two I was want... so well executed, yeah. And I, and think, then, I course... think that blew up their head because one was hokey mm-hmm. enough, and then two was serious and really well received. Even at yeah. the time, I remember how much I liked it. You know, yeah. And then, of course, you know, let's not talk about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how that film was made or why it was made. Or it's like someone over at Sony needed to be fired. I hope someone did get fired for that one. Such a waste of Andrew Garfield, too. I know. I'm really glad he got that redemption. He's a fun actor. Yeah. I'm glad we'll get to see him again in Spider-Man No Way Home. Those have got to be popping up soon in our our, We're we're coming. We're coming. I mean, that's that's the end of. Was that the end? That's early phase four. So no. we're in phase three now. 
we're, we're phase, phase three would include the first one, Homecoming. Yes, but by the time we get to No Way Home, we're oh, in yeah, phase yeah. four. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Spider-Man has the two next films. two of Spider-Man. Yeah, they're, they're in phase the three. Two and three are phase four. Yeah, the, in fact, number two closes phase out phase three. Yeah, yeah. And he's far it? from he's far from home is the close after Endgame. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So we'll get to those folks. So don't worry. And we'll talk some more both on the main pod and here. So that was great. Good discussion. So yeah, we want to hear fun. from you guys. What are your thoughts? Tell us. What do you think about this, about heist films, about Ant-Man, about this first film and the use of humor? Yeah. Can um, heist films have a sequel? Uh, a yeah, there sequel? we go. That's a good good question to ask there. Can they have a sequel? So um, write us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents. And over on Twitter at Not Funny Guys Pod and at Blue Sky, I believe we're Not Funny Guys. The so, Not yeah. Funny Guys, one of those two. Yeah, you'll the socials. It. You'll find you'll us find on the us. socials. You'll kids. find us. <laughs> yeah, if you find us on one, you can find us on all. But uh, stay strange, keep asking questions, and we'll talk to you next time. See you on the main pod, and we'll see you here next week. Yeah, see you guys later. <laughs>